0: Well, we are uh, kind of wrapping up this little three-week series we've been in, A Thrill of Hope. We're talking about a hope, and that that lyric comes from O Holy Night, right? What does it say? A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. Like, we look at our world right now, like, (laughs) a weary world is looking for some hope, right? Hope shines really bright when it's dark, Right? And that's the point of Christmas, is Christ is revealed in the midst of darkness. And so we went in week number one. Remember what we talked about in week number one? We looked at the character of Simeon. Remember Simeon? Some of you have like, who in the world is Simeon? I've never heard about Simeon. If you missed that message, go back and listen to it. We talked about the character of Simeon. He saw the baby Jesus, and he had been given a revelation that that isn't just a baby. That's actually the Savior of the entire world, right? And we looked at this in in, uh, week number one, the big so what was simply this. It's this, that hope has a name. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Hope is not a circumstance. You know, a lot of times we think, man, if we get the right circumstance, the right situation, I get the right relationship, I get the right job, I get this, I get that, suddenly I'll have hope. That's, that's not where hope is. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. That is where your hope is at. So we looked at that in week number one, that's good news for every single one of us. But then we got to week two, and the news gets even better, because a lot of times we feel like, oh, maybe you walked in the door this morning, you feel this way, like, man, I know God's hope, but man, he would not want to get into my mess. Like, I just got junk going on in my life, I got stuff in my past, I got stuff that's a part of my story, like, I know that's good news, but I don't think it's good news for me. Right? That is, that is f- the farthest thing from the truth. You look at the, the Joseph story, you realize that it's in the midst of the mess that Jesus came to work. The big so what from last week was this. God chose to step into our mess to be what? God with us. What does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel, God with us. He steps into the junk. And if you missed last week's message and you need to get encouraged, you need to go back and watch that message. Because Micah looked through the the lineage of Jesus. It's one of the best studies you could ever do. He didn't get through the whole thing, but man, there is so much in there. Because in the lineage of Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who's the hope, what do we got? We got a prostitute. We got adulterers. We got murderers. We got idolaters. We got people with our crazy stories. And yet this is the line that Jesus came out of. And it's like God's just trying to say, listen, you think you got too big of a mess? You're wrong. That's why Jesus came, was to meet you in the midst of your mess, to breathe a hope into that circumstance. And some of you came in this morning carrying on to heavy burdens. Hear this. That is why Jesus came, to enter into our mess. This morning we're going to look at something, and the the title of the message this week is this, the the tension of hope. The tension of hope. Because I think there's this this desire for this hope, but we don't always know how to attain it. How do I get this tension? And and we're going to look at a statement. I want to pull this up on the screens, uh, that Jesus came to bring hope to everyone, but it's not for everyone. I know some of you are like, Greg, (laughs) we're going to wrestle with this one this morning, all right? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, beginning of verse number 1. As always, if you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can always borrow one from the back of the room. Around here, we, we teach out of the Word, so I'm not giving you my opinions on a weekly basis. We're saying, what does the Word of God have to say? So I encourage you, bring a Bible with you. If you ever forget one, or if you don't own a Bible, we've got them at the table, take one. That's your Bible. We want you to have a Bible, all right? Would you stand with me as we're going to read our primary text here this morning. I'm going to be jumping around because it's a longer passage. I'm going to skip a few verses, so just follow along with me. Matthew chapter 2, beginning verse number 1, says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him jump down to verse number 7 then Herod called the magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared he sent them to bethlehem and said go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him report to me so that i too may go and worship him jump down to verse 10 when they saw the star they were overjoyed on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother mary and they bowed down and worshiped him then they opened their treasures of and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Jump down to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... You do want to speak to us regularly, Lord, and uh, we are grateful that, that we have the privilege of, of gathering here freely and uh, worshiping, and God, we asked it this morning that we wouldn't just listen to me talking, but we would hear your Holy Spirit speaking to us, and Father, that we would respond uh, the way you desire us to. So we, we give you our ears. May we hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So uh, how many of you know that things don't always go the way that you plan? Right? Like life just doesn't always work out. Like you, you have ideas, and I think this is especially true at Christmas time. Because we got lots of plans for what Christmas is going to be like. You know, you, you think it's going to go a certain way. And, you know, you think it's going to go with the family. And you got all the stuff arranged. You make the meal and all this stuff. And things just don't always work out the way you hope they would. In our in our home, me and Amber, you know, I've told you that we love Christmas. Amber really loves Christmas. And so, like, we get, we get plans and we do all the fun stuff and all that kind of stuff. And you you watch the Christmas movies, you know, and you have this vision of what Christmas morning will be like, you know. You know, and, like, like kids all in their, like, footie pajamas, you know. And, like, their hair is beautiful, and their breath smells amazing, you know, right? And then they open their presents, and it's just pure joy, like, you're the greatest mom and dad in the whole world, and like, yes, we are, you know, and like, oh, and And that doesn't always happen, you know, like you wake up, everybody gets up, like everybody, nobody, their pajamas are like, you know, and there's like stains on the pajamas, you know, and my kid's hair is wrangled and, you know, their breath smells something, like something died in it, you know. And sometimes the kids open the presents and like they cry, like they're not happy about like, I remember the one year we got Levi like this shirt thing and we thought it was going to be great and he just cried and crawled under a chair and I'm like, this isn't what I thought was going to happen, you know. I was hoping for better than this, <laughs> but that's that's how things go. And that this past year we had an experience like this, and so we were setting up the Christmas tree. If you follow us on Instagram, you might have seen this. If you don't follow us on Instagram, you should just because, you know, <laughs> it's entertaining. But uh, so this is a picture. So we we bought our Christmas tree, right? And it was it was great. We got this big old Christmas tree. It was marvelous, and uh. And, and we decorated it, and, and then we all got together, and we, we did this, and we took this moment. You know, this was an Instagram-worthy shot, right? Everybody's saying, I got DL up on my shoulders. They're setting this whole thing up. It's all beautiful and, and marvelous, whatever. And then we stopped, and, and about, you know, we got the fireplace going. We got the tree. We got a Christmas movie on, right? You know, it's just like that moment. Everybody's, they got their PJs. We're just cuddled there on the couch. About 15 minutes later, <laughs> The tree falls over, okay? So this is about five minutes after the tree fell over, and I pushed it back up, and Amber's just holding the tree. And I said, wait, I'm going to take a picture. This is a sermon illustration. (laughs) So here it is. I'm so glad I took a picture. (laughs) Okay, everything fell off of the tree. And you see there's broken ornaments at the bottom. You know, there's broken ornaments. And, you know, there's water at the base of that thing. Just water had poured out all over the carpet, all these kind of things. And I'm saying, like, this was not the plan, right? It's not what I thought Christmas was going to be like, you know? And we look at the Christmas story, and the reality is the Christmas story is a lot like this. It isn't the way we think about. It. You know, we have our pretty nativities and our little sign, and they smell good and they look nice, and the, the you know the sheep is just like baying quietly and whatever. But you know, we know that's not the Christmas story. We get it. You know, hear it every year. Like it's smelly, it's gross. I've been through three baby delivers deliveries. That's gross and messy. Okay, so there, it's like a messy situation going on here, you know? And, and we even look at the manger. We, I think Micah might have mentioned, we look at like this beautiful handcrafted wood manger. Like, I've been to Israel. Most likely it was a carved rock that they're laying this baby in. Like, this is, this is not the picture that we have. So the Christmas story isn't exactly like we think about it, but then there's some characters in the story that we forget about and we don't really understand what's going on. And then there's some characters we never talk about. Now, Simeon was one that we talked about from last week, but this morning we're going to look at some characters we don't really know much about and some characters that we don't ever talk about, and that is the Magi and Herod, all right? So I want to just give you a little context to understand these characters for a moment. So First, we're going to look at the Magi. The Magi are who we know as the wise men, or the three, we three kings of Orient, you know, this is what we talk about, you know, that was just a weird translation that caused them to be called kings. They were Magi. Who are the Magis? They are most likely men who were into astrology and black magic. They were discerning the future by looking into, you know, things that were maybe not appropriate all the time, right? And it says that they came from the east, which most likely means they came from the area of Babylon, which is very interesting because when you look at this, you realize that about 500 years before Jesus, about 580 years before Jesus is born, uh, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people are actually exiled to Babylon, Which means a bunch of the leaders and the spiritual leaders who would know all the prophecies about this Messiah that was coming were actually exiled to the Babylon people. So now these people have an understanding of these prophecies that are for this people over here. They're not not their prophecies, but they've heard about it, right? Now you fast forward 580 years or so. And suddenly, some of these people start to see some of these prophecies coming true. And they're recognizing something that says, whoa, that thing those people have talked about I think might be going on. And so they follow this star into Bethlehem. And I think this is really cool. You might say, why does that matter? That's super obscure details that we don't need to think about. I think it's really cool. In the midst of a Christmas story, that God includes these people, I mean, they're they're into sorcery and, and black magic and all this kind of stuff. They aren't of Jewish people. They're of a totally other nation. And yet God includes them into the Christmas story. The absolute outsiders, the people who have, they had no interest in the Christmas story, right? They get included and brought in. And what does that teach us about our God? That no matter where you're at, what, where you're at right now, what you're up to in life, listen, God is willing to come there to meet you where you're at. Like they get included in the story; they are the ones we're talking about two thousand years later. How crazy is that? You know. So that's the Magi. Then we get the Herod, you know, and so Herod is also known as Herod the Great. There's several Herods around that era, and so there's this Herod the Great, and we don't have time to talk about all the things and explain everything, but suffice it to say, Herod was pretty great. <laughs> Thank you. Boo. Did I get boos on that one? Okay, that's fine. Boo my jokes they don't even work <laughs> Again, that was Herod. that was a uh, hunter's idea, so okay, <laughs> so Herod, he's not a great guy in any way whatsoever like he's a horrible guy. he does crazy stuff um, he's, he's an awful kind of person in the way he thinks the way he functions in his world, okay uh, so Herod is king over. Israel, over the Jewish people, but he's not actually, a. Uh, he wasn't born a Jew. He converted to Judaism, all right? And so he is now king over this area. He's under the control of the Roman Empire, but he is the king over this entire region. And by being the king over this region, he gets to do certain things. And one of the things he is has control over is construction. And so he does all these construction projects. He builds fortresses. He builds uh, ports. He builds palaces. He actually built complete cities. But one of the things he is most famous for is the temple, okay? If you've ever seen pictures of the temple, you know, in Jerusalem, you see like the big walls and all that kind of stuff, what you're looking at is the kind of the souped-up version of the temple that Herod was involved in building and creating. This is what he's known for. But one of the things that Herod had a problem with is this, that Herod was obsessively concerned about his security and his rule, like obsessed about his security. He was always paranoid and, and concerned that somebody else was gonna come and take his rule from him. He was afraid that someone was gonna infringe on his authority, infringe on his kingdom and the way that he was running things. This paranoia was so bad that he got to the point where he would kill just about anybody that he thought might be doing this. Now he has a he had his uh, several wives. He had like, I think like 12, 13 wives, something like that. But he had his favorite wife, okay? We all have our favorite wife, right? Okay, so he had his he had his favorite wife of all, all 12, 13 wives. And that favorite wife, good, you laughed at that one. Good, I love it when that works. Okay, so he had his favorite wife and he he had her killed, even though it was his favorite. He had her killed. Why? Because he believed that she was trying to get her sons to kind of usurp his authority and take over and become the new kings. All right, this guy was nuts. He killed, here, this is how bad he was. He knew that the Jewish people hated him. And so here's what he did. When he knew he was dying. He was super sick, and he was, he was afraid that when he died that nobody would mourn. They'd all be dancing and celebrating in the streets. You know what he did? He found all the Jewish leaders and had them killed at the same time he was about to die, so that way at least there would be mourning in the nation when he died. <laughs> like, that's how crazy the guy was, okay? Kind of nuts, all right? So, so we look at this guy, and like, this guy is like deranged. He's crazy, and yet this guy is in the Christmas story. Like, why? I think you, you ask this question: like, what does this magi and what does this you know this this crazy leader have to do with us? And I think I think it's gonna reveal something really important to us because in one story, you get two totally different responses to Jesus. Absolutely diametrically opposed to one another in the way that they respond to him. It's like fish. How many of you like fish? Okay, how many of you don't like fish and you don't eat fish? Okay, I am with you, people. Okay, me and Amber, we do not like, we don't eat fish. If you invite us to your home, please don't make us fish. Okay, we will, we will, we will, like, choke it down and we'll try to smile, but we will not like it at all. Okay, we just don't like it. We don't like fish. All right? and so. I've, I just know this. Growing up, like some people love fish, and some people just can't stand it, and that's where we're at. Like you don't, you're not neutral on fish most of the time, okay? And this is how Jesus is. There is no neutral with Jesus. You get one or two responses here, and this is what we see in the story. You look at the the Magi, and they give this uh, clear response here in verse number ten. Look what it says. It says when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child who was Uh, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. See, we see this in every nativity scene. We see this picture of the magi bowing down before Jesus, right? This is this beautiful image we get, and I don't know how realistic the nativity scenes we have are, but the heartbeat is the same. These people are coming, and they're saying, listen, he is great, Like they come in total humility. This word worship is the word proskuneo in the original Greek. And the word means a recognition or a submission to someone who is greater. And so when they come and the magi stand before Jesus, here's what they're saying. They're saying, listen, I know it's crazy. I know it's bizarre to think that this baby is anything special. But the reality is he is greater than me. Like, I'm coming down and I'm laying myself down because he is, is, as crazy as it sounds, he is more important. He is greater. He is more superior. His kingdom matters. My kingdom does not matter. That's what it means. But then we get the response of Herod, which is the complete opposite response. He saw Jesus as a threat to his own kingdom. And guess what? He was totally right. He was totally right. Like, Jesus comes to threaten our kingdom. That's the point. He didn't come to be added to your kingdom. He came to take over your kingdom. See, see Jesus being the king meant that he gets to be the one in control. And you see, we watch Herod immediately. He starts clinging to what he has with all of his might. He's clinging to grasping onto what he's got, you know. First, he tries to use the magi to figure out, okay, where is this Jesus at so I can go get him? When the magi get away, what does he do? I'm just going to kill all the babies, so that way maybe I'll take this guy out, right? He's grasping at straws. He's saying, oh, no, my kingdom is being threatened. i got to hold on to something. Oh, no. I got to hold on to something. Anyways, <laughs> right? So you, you see him. He's doing all these crazy things, and he's clinging. And what I find interesting, because we look at his, his character, and we say, man, that guy's crazy. Look at him. What is he doing? But how often do we do that in our lives? We cling to what we know because it makes us feel like we have some control. Some of us cling onto some relationships that you know aren't good, but you hold on to it because you know it. and you feel like you got a little control in your life. Some of you are holding on to a thought pattern, a, a way of thinking that is, that is, you know it's not the right one, but it's what you know, and so you just keep going that way. There's an addiction in your life that you hold on to because like, you keep going back to that thing because you're like, well, this is what I'm comfortable in. This is what I know. See, this is all here. He's just doing the same thing we do. Say, so, you know what, I just want to hold on to what I've got. And I think that the sad thing is that what we know may be comfortable, but, but it may be holding you back from something better. God may have something better for you and this is the story of Herod. Herod he has the same hope. We're talking a thrill of hope. The same hope that was available to Simeon. The same hope that's available to Joseph and to Mary and every the same hope that's available to the Magi. The same hope that's available to every single one of us was available to Herod, but he chose his kingdom over Christ. He said, "No, don't mess with my mess. Don't mess with my kingdom. Don't back up, Jesus." This is mine, right? So this is the tension of hope. See, Jesus came to bring hope to everyone, but it's not for everyone. And so I want to wrap up with our big so what this morning. We always say, what's the point of this thing? Here it is. Hope begins when you end. Hope begins when you end. And there is abundant, eternal hope available. The the greatest hope you could ever experience. We talk about the Zoe life that God has available to us. It's really fun to talk about that stuff. But guess what? It only begins when you end. When you come to the end of yourself, you say, I'm done calling the shots. I'm done being the one that, that is in charge, focusing on my kingdom and my way. Listen, he wants to give his hope to you, but it's only for you if you receive it. We know this is true in our normal lives. Think about it in your just normal everyday life. There's no hope for your broken marriage. There isn't. There, there's no hope for your finances. There's no hope for those addictions. There's no hope for those challenges you've got going on in your life as long as you don't think there's a problem. Until you come to the end of yourself and you recognize, you know what? I can't do it on my own. Until you get to the end, there's no hope for you. You're stuck there, right? And all of us, some of us are living there right now. We're in the midst of something. We've been struggling with something for years, if not decades, but we've never come to the end of ourselves. We never said, I, I, I need help here, right? Hope begins when you end. We live our lives like Herod. We're defending our kingdom, defending our rights. We want control. We want things our way, right? Hope doesn't begin until we end. And see, Jesus made this clear over and over and over again when he taught about the kingdom of God and, and who it's for. He said this in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. It says this, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is what I mean. He came to bring hope to everyone, but it's not for everyone. It's for those who know their need. Even the, the verse that many of us know as the most famous verse, John three sixteen. What is that? For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe. He didn't say he gave a son so that everybody would be no forever would believe. Whoever would respond you see, responding to Christ isn't just simply saying, yep, Jesus is king. It's saying, no, Jesus, you're my king. Like the Magi, I bow my life. I bow my knee. I lay myself down before you, and I actually submit to your authority. I actually say, you're in control. And that means you're in control of this. You're in control of these. You're in control of this. You're in control of this. Everything I have is under your authority. I submit to you, my kingdom is not what my life is about anymore. It's not about calling shots my way. It's about saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? And it's easy for us to say that, but man, it gets really, really challenging when we go about living our lives, because it's possible that we come in these weeks, in these doors on a weekly basis, and we worship God, we worship God, but throughout the week, if we're honest with ourselves, we're really worried about our kingdom. We're worried about things being our way. Are, Are things functioning the way I want them to function? No, no, no. Are we submitted to His kingdom to say, God, Your kingdom first. I come second. And second is a long ways down your God. God, I want to let everything that I have be for your purpose. It's his kingdom. See, that's who the hope's for. And when we surrender like that, suddenly there's a joy and a peace. It makes me think about my kids. I got my kids. And uh, a lot of times I'll get them something. I might get them a bottle, you know, to drink, you know, a little bottle of pop or water or whatever. Or get them something to eat or a little toy or something like that. And they have a wrapping on them. Right? And, and my kids, you know how kids are. I'm like, hey, can I help you get that? And they're like, no I can't, I'm like, okay, have at it. Right? And you'll see a kid, you know, I remember when they're like two and three and they got a bottle and they're trying to get a cap off of a bottle. You know, I'm like, they're never going to get the cap off the bottle. Like, I don't, they could sit there for the next 10 years. They're not getting the cap off the bottle, right? And, uh, and you, I look at them and, and they're straining and they're struggling, trying to do it themselves. And I see that's a picture of us sometimes. We're straining, we're struggling, trying to do this thing on our own, trying to achieve some hope somehow on our own, trying to receive receive salvation somehow on our own, trying to be good people on our own. But there's the moment in my kids' lives when they would finally hit their breaking point and they'd realize, I can't do this. And that's when they turn to me. And I'm so strong. I just, here you go. I've just been waiting for you to do that. Like, I, I would have done that 10 minutes ago if you'd have let me. But you didn't come to the end of yourself. You still thought you were enough. And I know it's a simple illustration, but the reality is a lot of us live our lives that way. We know, we know God is great. We know he's strong. We know his authority matters, all that kind of things. But we still live like we've got the bottle in our hand and we're trying to open it ourselves. We don't come to the end of ourselves. You see, you have to humble yourself. God will not humble you. He's a gentleman. He's not going to come before and force you to make any decision to submit to his authority. That's your choice to make. Say, God, I, I want to lay myself down. And there's some of you here in, the, in your, this is maybe your first time here, or, or maybe it's just the first time in a long time. You would say, you know what, I I've heard the Christmas story, I understand the the truths, but I've never understood this whole idea of submitting to him, submitting to Jesus. That's the beginning of what we call salvation. Of saying, God, I'm not my savior, I'm not the answer. Hope begins when I end. When I say, God, I'm, I'm not the answer, I submit to your authority, I put myself under yours, right? And I'm gonna give you the opportunity in a moment to do that, to respond to Jesus. But I would say that there's some of you here that maybe you come on a regular basis around here. You do. But you're still living for your kingdom. You're submitted to your kingdom. You, you care about your You're fighting. you're clinging on to your things, right? And there's something, there's something in you that says, you know, man, some of you might even say you're a follower of Jesus. You are committed, but there's an area of your life that you really haven't laid down. You're still holding on to that thing. Listen, this could be the greatest freedom. There might be something better. God may have something better for you, but you're too too consumed with clinging to that thing. My challenge to you this Christmas season is would we we function as the Magi? Say, God, we lay it down. Whatever it is, surrender it to you, God, because God, we wanna live for your glory. That's the hope of Christmas. It's not just the ushy-gushy that... Jesus is the hope. Just not that he'll get in the mess with you. It's that we have to take a step to receive it. And when we do, we receive the new life that comes with it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that you do meet us where we are. God, that hope isn't for the smart or for the athletic or the good-looking or the wealthy or the, the people who've got all their stuff together for the... People who think right the people who talk right the people who um, you know do all the right stuff that went to the right school or have the right job hope is for the surrendered and so god i pray this morning you would help us to get to that place of surrender where we would lay ourselves before you god i pray for those who would consider themselves followers of jesus i know i'm in this boat there are still plenty of times where i'm clinging and i'm grasping onto things And I'm trying to do things my way because I care too much about my kingdom still, God. I pray that you would break our hearts.